0: Let's bow our heads as we ask God to speak to our hearts as we begin this sermon. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for giving us the chance to come together and worship you. And now, Lord, we bow before your throne and we wait for your words, not the words of a man, but the words inspired by the Holy Spirit for the truth for today. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so this is part six of the series that I've been uh, doing on the life of Abraham. Um, And today, this will conclude our studies. And if you find that it's blessed you, you can go back. Everything that we've done is online. And I know a lot of people have told me that they have gone back. And so I, I draw your attention to that, that everything that we do is archived. And so you can get it by going to the website. And so today, I want to focus on two chapters In Genesis, I'm not going to read the whole chapters. We're going to pick and choose. Genesis 21 and Genesis 22. And in Genesis 21, uh, we will see the birth of Isaac finally taking place. It was the culmination of God's promise to Abraham, originally given 25 years earlier. Uh, And imagine that. Abraham was 75 years old when he left his homeland. And even though he was promised an heir, promised that he would have the chance to populate effectively all of Judaism, his his heirs would be like the sand on the beach. And despite that, God made him wait 25 years. And through that waiting process, they went through a number of tests Uh, Some of them were successful. Some of them were failures. But the question becomes, why does God wait 25 years to do this? Obviously, uh, he could have done it when he was 75. Why did he wait? Well, I think one of the things that we learn about God is that we don't have the thinking of God. We don't understand God's thinking. Uh, And so God has a plan for each and every one of your lives. And I would say the assurance for you is that even if you've planned and prayed for something for years and it has not come to pass, that doesn't mean that God will not honor that if it is within his will. And so you see that in, in this life. And so God looks to see how we act during this time of testing and see how we respond both to success and to failure, and we've seen that with Abraham as we've emphasized the fact that Abraham had feet of clay, uh, despite the fact that he was this giant of faith that would be effectively the foundational piece for the Jewish people. Despite all that, we see some, some things that he did that were failures, uh, and so really, wh- you know, you come back and say, why did God honor Abraham, and God honored Abraham because God saw Abraham's heart, God knew that Abraham loved him and would submit in obedience to him. And he always did that. He built the altars. He, he bowed in obedience to him, even when, even when he made mistakes. There's a verse in Job, Job 42, verses 1 to 2, where Job says, uh, our attitude toward the Lord should be, quote, I know that you can do all things, and though no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Amen. No purpose of yours, Father, no purpose in my life can be thwarted. That's Job 42, verse 1. And so God, as part of, of his continuing covenant with Abraham, instituted circumcision as the sign of that covenant. And so when, when Abraham was given that, all of the males uh, in all of his tribe, including his children, uh, were all subject to that. And so you see that he would continue to serve and honor God in every way that he possibly could. And he constantly erected altars throughout his travels in Canaan. And so like Abraham, we must meet God and his promises with faith and obedience. And Hebrews 11 verse six says, quote, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Notice the two components of faith, which become important. The two components of this trust includes first, belief in God's existence and further belief that he will reward those who seek him. That's how we walk. We walk in faith, not in sight, we don't see him. But we honor him as we walk as Christians, as we we listen to his word and we look at the examples of the great patriarchs of the past. And so even as Christians, uh, we can rejoice with Abraham uh, and Sarah because we see that through Isaac, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham about giving him an heir and about blessing all of his future heirs through that heir. And we know that Jesus would one day be one of those heirs within the lineage of Abraham. And so as we are in Christ, as the body of of the church, we effectively are also the offspring of Abraham. And it's amazing when you think about that, that God would do this from this one man that he pulled out of the Ur of the Chaldees, this pagan. And you see how God is. How even with all these flaws, God continued to protect him and lift him up and bless him. And so even as we, we celebrate with Abraham, even as we do that and we're gonna see some great things that he did today, there still is a time of sorrow. There still is the, the judgment of God in his life. And one of those things that took place was the uh, Hebrew tradition of weaning a child at a certain age, about four. When a child would be weaned from drinking the mother's milk and put on solid food. And when that happened with Isaac, when that happened with Isaac, Abraham celebrated. Uh, and when he celebrated, uh, Ishmael, his son through, through Hagar, did not take that kindly and mocked, mocked Isaac. If you have your Bible, take a look at Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. The child grew, and that's Isaac. And was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. So you see, obviously, the mistakes that we've made continue to come back, uh, and obviously, God has to intervene. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. So you see this rather sad picture where the wife says he's got to go. He's got to go. All right. Uh, and so early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent them off with the boy. Now, can you imagine how sad this is? We're out in the middle of the desert. Here's some water. Here's some food. Good luck to you. And there they go. All right. Uh, and, and so you see this, so she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. An archer while he was living in the desert, his mother got a wife from him from Egypt. Amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story how God takes sorrow and sadness and God fills up the pieces and delivers Ishmael. And you know that Ishmael will become the father of the Arab people. Uh, And so the Arab people look as much to Abraham as their patriarch father as the Jews do. It's just an amazing thing. Uh, And so you see this. Uh, And it gives us hope. And so even with the failure of Abraham, the mistakes of Abraham, and one of those mistakes was Ishmael, God honored him, God lifted him up, God protected him. Uh, And so it was because of the great love that God had for Abraham that he protected and blessed Ishmael, even though he was not the elect in the line of Isaac. And so now, as we approach this 22nd chapter we will see one of the great examples of faith in the entire Bible. Uh, And it is an amazing example of faith Uh, as God will speak to Abraham and ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, I want you to reflect on this. This is the son of his old age. This is the boy that he has waited 25 years to see. And so now, after those 25 years, this young boy uh, is now probably a teenager, as theologians speculate, Uh, and so now God tells him, now God tells him, I want to see where your heart is, Abraham. And so look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and the Bible makes it clear, God tested Abraham. Abraham, and I believe that's an important thing for you to understand. That God tests all of us. We don't know when He tests us, but He does. And the tests really are about fortifying our faith, demonstrating how we live, how our commitment is to God, helping to establish our character, uh, and helping to understand what our weaknesses are. Uh, and and God does all of this in order to build us up. And so sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, there's a reason why the scripture says your only son. That's not a throwaway line. Clearly, God knew it was his only son. Uh, After all, he had waited 25 years for this child. But really what you see here is the foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus Christ. This entire chapter is going to be a foreshadowing of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. It is an extraordinary exposition of biblical prophecy, and you need to be careful as you read it, as you understand what God is doing here. And one of those things that he's doing there is saying right up front, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, and Moriah will be effectively where Jerusalem will effectively be, Moriah. Uh, And so, Uh, This is approximately 1,800 years or so before Christ would be born. And there he continues, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, what do you think went through Abraham's mind when he heard this? Sacrifice your son on one of the mountains there that I will tell you about. What do you think he thought? All I can think of is that, that, that he must have said, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're telling me. Why would you make me wait 25 years with all these promises and this is the heir finally and yet now you're saying you want me to sacrifice him, God? What is this about? But you don't see Abraham articulating any of those objections. What you see is a man so committed to God, so submitted uh, in obedience to God is that he moves forward. And the reason he moves forward is we believe that he felt that God would resurrect Isaac from the grave if, in fact, God wanted his life taken, that God would never, ever allow the taking of the life of this child. He would never do it. This isn't a a God that exposed human sacrifice. He didn't do any of that. But Abraham bows in obedience, bows in obedience uh, and and moves forward. It must have been an incredible crisis uh, for Abraham. And so when you realize this, you see how significant testing could be. Um, And so it's important to understand this and continue reading as you see it. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, underline that in your Bible, on the third day, that's not a throwaway line. You're beginning to see here now that God will begin to speak in a number of ways about the third day, preparing the Jewish people for the fact that on the third day, Jesus would be resurrected from the dead. All right, the importance of the third day becoming, uh, repeating itself throughout the Old Testament, and this is only the first time you will see it. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay there with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And underline this in your Bible. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. God himself would provide the lamb, and that is exactly what happens in the future, on Mount Moriah, which would effectively be Jerusalem, on uh, Calvary. God himself would provide the sacrifice. And so this very prophetic statement by Abraham uh, stretches over thousands of years to what God will do. In Jerusalem on that very moment. And when they reached the place, God had told them about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And think about this, Isaac carried the wood on his back, just the way Jesus would carry the cross on his back a foreshadowing of everything that would take place in several thousand years. He bound his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld From me, your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the day the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And so what you see here is this enormous example of faith and submission and obedience, not truly understanding it, but saying, Lord, I walk with you. And how many of you have been in situations like that where you've prayed to God, you know, to open doors, and you're not sure where you should go or what you should do, and yet even as you walk, you are submitting to God in every step of the way. There's not a person in here that can't say that. And you see here in the example of Abraham, even to the point where it didn't even make sense But trusting in God for His love and care, and you see it, Uh, and so it's an incredible example of faith. Uh, And and God often tests His children in order to develop our character. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter one, if you would. James chapter one, verses two to four, on this very issue. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That's what it's about. God wants to make your character strong. He knows it's not easy to live in this world. He knows that there are gonna be down days in this world, but he wants to develop your character and lift you up and strengthen your character so that you can persevere. Even when things are difficult, even when things don't seem to make sense, and yet you know that God loves you and cares for you. Uh, and so the testing of our faith effectively proves its authenticity. You see, you really don't know how good faith is until it's tested and it's proven. While you're there at that part of the Bible, look, turn a few pages back to 1 Peter chapter 1, again, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's everything we're about. We're about praising and worshiping God, about glorifying God. And I told you this, that the greatest sermons that I've received in my life were when I walked down the halls of hospitals to people in our church who were dying. And as I walked into their rooms, I saw the evidence of faith in their lives. They weren't crying. They weren't wailing or despairing that they were going to be called home. They glorified in God because they understood where their faith was. They understood Understood the promises of God. They knew where they were going. This was only a pale shadow of what God had promised them, and that's the kind of faith God wants us to have. And can you imagine what that's like when people in the world who are not saved comes across somebody like that? When you cro- you coming into- through. a a hospital room where somebody's like that. I can tell you that when I'd walk down these halls, the difference between people that were saved and unsaved was enormous. The people, the rooms with people that are unsaved and were dying were darkened caves. You didn't even feel you could walk in. What kind of words am I gonna say to you? What kind of human philosophy am I gonna say to you that's gonna make you feel better? But if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, and all I can say to you is that you know that there's a place waiting for you. You know your Lord and Savior is waiting for you. That's what your testing is about. The very strengthening of your character for that very day. And so you see this. And so I'm sure Abraham really entertained certain questions. Why would God make me sacrifice my son? Is it not against the Lord's will to sacrifice human beings? You don't think he asked that question in his mind, yet you see him walking walking. Walking, moving forward, honoring God. Uh, and in fact, don't you think perhaps he wondered whether this was really the voice of God? But he trusted the fact that God spoke to him. He trusted because he had that kind of relationship, you see? He knew when God spoke to him. He understood the tone of God's words, even then as the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. And so he moves forward, and as he moves forward, he honors the Lord. Uh, And I want you to understand something, that mere lip service does not demonstrate the reality of faith in Jesus Christ. And let me repeat what I just said. Mere lip service does not demonstrate Prove that you have given your faith to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that himself. The Lord said that not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. That's in Matthew 7, verse 21. Let's understand something. A lot of people in this world talk, talk a good faith, but not many of them walk a good faith. And I want us to be a people that walk in faith, demonstrating our commitment to Christ, not merely lip service, but, but really having a life of commitment. Faith demands radical obedience. Uh, the Lord calls us to give him our lives and to be totally surrendered. Surrendered to what an extent? Well, turn to Mark chapter eight, and you get a sense of how much God wants you to be committed. And I love this this chapter in this verse, because Jesus lays it all out for us. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus, wait a minute. You're not going to be popular when you talk like this. People don't want to hear this. If I turn on television, I don't want people telling me I got to take up a cross. I'd rather hear how God is going to make me rich. How God is going to bless me. I'm going to get a bigger house, a bigger boat, a bigger car. I'm going to have more stocks. I'm going to have greater affluence. Jesus doesn't look at that. None of that matters to God. Look at what he says there. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Oh, my Lord Jesus. What a powerful set of verses as we understood what faith is about. And so really, even then, as they approach their final destination, as Isaac is carrying the wood on his back, as Jesus would someday carry the cross at the very same Mount Moriah, at the very same time, um, he, he says, where is the sacrifice? Where is the sacrifice, he says to his father. And his father makes that prophetic statement, God himself will provide the lamb and he would. God himself, who would save Isaac from death, who would keep that son of Abraham from death, God himself would put his own son on the line for us, who would expose him to death, uh, and would be the perfect sacrifice for all time. And, And what an amazing gift. And so, uh, The the writer in Hebrew talks about this, that Abraham recognized, even at that time, he recognized that God could actually raise Isaac from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did because he kept him from being killed. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11, I'd like to read a few verses there. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Isn't that amazing? He did receive Isaac back from death because the Lord refused to allow him to kill his son. And so you see this, our faith walk with God and with Jesus Christ requires us that we love the Lord more than anything else, that we love him more than anything else, that we put him first in every aspect of our lives. Look at Matthew chapter 10, if you would, please, uh, to underscore this as Jesus again speaks to this issue of 10 of faith, and how we are to live our lives. Verse 37, Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. there you understand what God expects of you. Nothing. No, No factor in this world. No family member. Not your wife. Not your children. Not your job. Nothing comes before God. And when you make that commitment to him and when you walk in faith and you say, Father, I put it all on the line for you. Yes, God, I submit myself to you. I will walk in faith. Yes, I love my wife. Yes, I love my mother. Yes, I love my father. But you come first. You come first. I will obey you first. I will now be, I will not be obstructed even by these family relationships. And I know there's so many good people, so many good people who love God, and yet I see the family relationships become obstacles for them. Do not let that happen. Make your commitment before God because I will tell you something that when you do this, especially with your children, your children will remember that example. I can tell you this, that there were many, many years that we would spend summers at the Jersey Shore, uh, and I was the church organist at the church, um, and I was a church organist for about 40 years, uh, really to honor my father's ministry. I never got paid for it. It was just I was called to do that. And we would get up on beautiful summer mornings, beautiful summer mornings, and there weren't a lot of them in New Jersey. And so we'd get up, and there we would look at the ocean. It was beautiful, and the sun is out. And I would say to my kid, we're going to church. And that meant getting in the car and driving 70 miles. 70 miles back to northern New Jersey and doing the service, and then getting back in the car and driving 70 miles back, back in traffic. You can imagine what that was like. But I know that those lessons meant more to my kid than all the preaching that I could have made in my mouth. You understand? Because he saw the level of commitment with his mother and father. We were putting God first. We put him first over our recreation, first over, over having fun, first in our lives in every possible way. And he remembered the lessons. He remembered the lessons. That's what God wants you to do, to make this commitment, to draw this line in the sand. And so you see this. And so following God cannot be limited to head knowledge. It cannot. It cannot be limited to lip service. God expects more. God expects you to have the kind of commitment that you step out in faith and demonstrate your faith to your family, to your wife, to your children, to your church, to your community. That's how you bring people to Jesus Christ, okay? Don't worry about passing out tracts. Don't worry about that, but instead recognize that it's your life, the very living of your life, that makes all the difference in the world as you show God your heart in every possible way. And so I want you to recognize what God did here on that day because God effectively set the predicate out He set the predicate out for what would happen about 1,800 years later when Jesus Christ would be coming to this world as his son and would ultimately be headed to the cross in order to die as the perfect substitute for us to be the perfect lamb. And so think about it. There he is, God is foreshadowing it through the old covenant, through the patriarch Abraham, sending him to this place in Jerusalem when Jerusalem didn't even exist yet to Mount Moriah, which would be the hill where Jesus would die on, demonstrating that this is how my son will be sacrificed. And even as Isaac carried the wood up on the hill on his back, Jesus himself would carry his cross. And on the third day, on the third day when Isaac was effectively spared, and on the third day when effectively uh, Isaac's life was spared, On the third day, Jesus Christ would rise from the grave and God would be writing in the sky forever for the Jewish people, be prepared for the third day. Be prepared when I send my own son, my beloved son, my one and only son whose life will be taken. But on the third day, just as Isaac would be spared, God would prepare a sacrifice. Oh my Lord Jesus, you are so merciful towards us and so great towards us that you would do this, that you would outline in in a sense what you were going to do. And so this is the old covenant, you see. This is the old covenant and God in his mercy would allow the Jewish people to live under that covenant until finally it became clear that they couldn't live under that covenant. They couldn't obey the laws. They couldn't live the kind of life that they should have lived. And so God had mercy and grace. And so He gave His one and only Son as the perfect sacrifice on that same hill several thousand years later and would allow Jesus to die on the cross, but to be resurrected on the third day. And so you see how God honors. Abraham how God lifted them up, how God gives them as an example to us of what faith is about. And that's the essence of this message today for you to understand, to ask God to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your character. Yes, some of you are going through some terrible testing. I know some of you have faced losses with family members. Uh, Some of you have significant health issues. But I want you to understand that as you commit yourself to God, God is going to use everything in your life to build you up, to make you stronger, to make you a better Christian, to make you a better example, so that when you walk in this world, people will look at you and say, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to have that kind of life that I'm not knocked off my pins when I get bad news, but instead I bow before the cross of Jesus Christ. I put it before him in submission and obedience. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message, Father. I thank you for the example of Abraham and this extraordinary expression of faith, Father. Lord, help us to have this kind of faith. Help us to be dedicated to you, Lord. Help us to put everything but you first in our lives, Father, as we dedicate ourselves to you in every way that nothing can come between us and you, Lord. We want to serve you, we want to be the kind of people that you can use as examples. In this world, Lord. And so as we love you and commit towards you, Father, it's not lip service. It's not lip service, but it's heart service. We love you, Lord. Our people love you and are dedicated to you in every possible way. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.